Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. From Decrypt.co, this is Matthew Aaron. Today on the show, U.S. regulators want crypto firms to start sharing money laundering data. Catherine Coley, Finance.us's CEO, comes on and tells us about their latest expansion into Florida. Digital fiat is replacing paper fiat. Hmm. This could get interesting. All coming up on the Decrypt Daily. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. I wonder if everybody watched the RNC from last night. Today is going to be day two. I love campaign season. It's just one of my favorite things to watch, by the way. It's just all the campaigns, all the, hmm, how should I say it? Ways of presenting information. But I don't want to bore you with it. So let's go to the crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. And I'm recording this at 1230 Eastern Standard Time. And some days I don't even get a chance to look at the prices until I just do it right now to report to you guys. And I can tell you, I am not happy today. Bitcoin, $11,460, down 2.4% from yesterday. Ethereum, $386.25, down 3.7% from yesterday. Litecoin, $59.31, down 4.6% from yesterday. Chainlink, $1450, down 4.35% from yesterday. And XRP, $0.27.9, down 2.7% from yesterday. Ouch. 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 And I'm looking at traditional stocks as well. It looks like we're down there too. Something's happening. People are getting a little squeamish with their money. I'm not going to panic yet, but I'm going to keep my eye open. Total market cap for all cryptocurrencies is $357.2 billion. Bitcoin dominance 59.3% went up a little bit since yesterday. In our first conversation today, I sit down with Decrypt writer Scott Cipollina, and we talk about the change from fiat currency in paper form to digital form. Now, it's all fiat currency, but we're having less. Actually, open up your wallet, take out a dollar, and give it to somebody for goods or services, then send them Venmo, PayPal, or swiping a card. And in the wake of COVID, it's happening fast. The change to digital is accelerating across the world, and Scott and I talk about it. Scott, how you doing, man? Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. How are you? Excellent, sir. So your article today, we have a lot of, I would say, 101 or 102 learning to do before we even get into the article. The title of your article is The Bank for International Sediments Takes a Look at Digital Currency. I need to know before we even start talking about this, what is the Bank for International Settlements? Sure. Okay. So basically, the Bank for International Settlements is... A uh, bank that's owned by central banks around the world uh, that represent 
pretty much the entire world's GDP, about 90% of the world's GDP, based in Switzerland. And basically what it what it does is it sort of fosters discussion between central banks internationally and supports dialogues within, you know, those authorities from one country to another. That's basically what the Bank for International Settlements does. Okay, so they're now looking at digital currencies and the growth of CBDCs around the world. What is a CBDC, sir? Yep. Okay, so CBDCs are central bank digital currencies. And essentially, what they are is just an an electronic form of regular central bank money. Governments are interested in them for a lot of different reasons. There's, there's a wealth of reasons why they're interesting to different governments and digital, different central banks around the world. The most basic one is that it just promotes availability to central bank currencies around the world rather than just relying on, on physical cash. And then there's also some other, I would say, maybe they're political reasons that y- you, you guard against the creation of new private forms of money, which is something I also mentioned in my article. So there's a wealth of uses of CBDCs for central banks around the world. And what are those uses? Well, some of those uses are just that. Some of them are strictly practical, that they increase availability of currencies for people um, within a jurisdiction. Um, other reasons are, like I said, that they they um, prevent the creation of new forms of money. They also allow for competition um, and more effective transactions to take place between a buyer and a seller. So in some ways, they're inspired in many ways, like along the same principles as crypto, that they just facilitate more efficient transactions between one person and another. You know, you said, you know, you prevent creations of new forms of money. I guess I really want to start digging in on that because I don't understand how that is a thing. With with the creation of of cryptocurrency, um, digital assets, those are absolutely a form of, I would say, money or currency, depending on where you use it. I mean, uh, the form of like the Venezuelan Boulevard, for example, I mean, even though it's pretty much worthless today, isn't or or useful in America. You have to change for the U.S. dollar. I mean, so something in a digital land or uh, like a a game or something wouldn't be useful outside in the real world because that's where it exists. It exists in digital. What does that mean by preventing the creation of money? And why is that even necessary? And how is that even fair? Okay, um, so I get I'll, the first thing I think I would say there is that I think that motivation, this is just my perspective, is that that's inherently political on the behalf of a central bank. Um, if you can facilitate the more effective spread and usage of a central bank currency, um, then you close any sort of demand or you decrease demand, I should say, on the creation of other kinds of money. And this might entail crypto. So I think it's just a way of central banks trying to retain control of the adoption and use of value in a jurisdiction. So I would say that that, at least from my perspective, that is the the rationale for that sort of perspective. And then your 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 second question was, how is that fair? Um, I think it's that well today, you know, with the world of crypto that's now so big, competition's obviously increasing. A lot more people are turning their heads towards Bitcoin and ether and other crypto solutions so it, i think it's a it's it, it would be quite a long-winded answer to judge whether or not that's fair and i think it might be an inherently subjective response that i would give but today they're certainly being tested and i think the growth of digital uh, currencies is also something that might be in part a reaction to the growth of cryptocurrencies because as i said central banks want to make sure that their currencies are more readily available for people that live in these jurisdictions so my next question might be a rather no shit question by the way um <laughs> it was pretty fundamental to cryptocurrency and our space in general when you're talking about digital currencies when you're talking about uh the digital dollar the digital pound or or what have you um when it comes to fiat forms of money but in a digital form 
we understand inherently because it's almost like gospel in the crypto space how bitcoins are formed how bitcoins are managed and how bitcoins are created and how how many bitcoins are out there and we also know that when it comes to uh, other digital currencies and even if there isn't a cap of how many currencies digital currencies uh, out there uh, in a certain chain we also we we understand the governance behind it and how those are issued if we really don't understand then we are pretty much you know taken aback and we're calling out that company or that a project as you know nothing better than fiat when it comes to the digital form how do you put fiat currency into a digital form and have any kind of semblance of scarcity right um well i think that the the biggest distinction to be made here between cbdc's and forms of cryptocurrency that we're familiar with is that well, it's obviously centralization um there's still an issuing authority talking about the subject of scarcity that might go a little bit above my head, to be honest. I think that the you know central banks and different jurisdictions where these central banks are located are responsible for making sure that inflation rates for their national currencies don't don't get too high, and that the value of that national currency doesn't decrease exponentially, so to speak. So I think that that those would be the figures and the rules that we'd have to be paying attention to to govern scarcity. I suppose that the the basic answer is that just because central bank currency goes digital doesn't mean that it becomes valueless because scarcity no longer applies i think scarcity would still apply just the, just in the same way as the as though you are imagining a finite amount of physical cash okay so i'm just trying to wrap my head around the operations before we go into your article and the contents sure. of your article i want i want to understand the operations of creating a digital fiat currency and i, I you're helping me wa- kind of visualize this and i appreciate that when it comes to something like tether or a stable coin Tether, supposedly, and I'm going to put this in air quotes over here on a podcast so you can't see me, but I'm actually doing it, (laughs) is backed by dollars in the bank. One Tether is $1, and they're supposed to have a fiat backing to that. If you're going to just turn everything digital, I'm I'm trying to see if it's not scarcity, how are you taking those fiat currencies, those paper currencies off the road and turn them uh, off the streets and turn them digital? Or are you printing new fiat currencies for that digital form? What is creating the, the, the value of those digital currencies if you're just popping them to digital? Sure. Well, I think that the two are inherently linked. So one thing that I spoke about on this article was how the fastest rise in CBDCs is currently evident in Sweden. And Sweden is experiencing the sharpest decline globally on uh, decline in physical cash. So just let me correct myself. It's Sweden is one of the principal case studies that the Bank for International Settlements uh, conducted this study on. And it's, it's no surprise that they are witnessing this global leading decline in physical cash. So I wouldn't say that it's sort of a creation of new money just in a different form. It's more a technological development as to how central banks issue and control transactions that take place with that currency itself, if that makes sense. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so tell me the gist of the article. Sweden is leading the decline of using fiat paper money. Yes, that's correct. All right. What else is going on, my friend? Another major finding on the report was that CBDCs are growing mainly in digitized and innovative economies. And that in many ways might really be a different way of saying the same thing. If an economy is declining in its usage of physical cash, it is because there are more digital and innovative solutions in place to pick up the slack, so to speak. And one of the findings of that report is that CBDCs are inherently linked to those kinds of economies. Another finding of the report was that 
a lot of central banks are basically considering what are called hybrid setups. So that would mean that the CBDC would itself as a currency would make a direct claim on a central bank, but then customer facing activity is basically dealt with on, in the private sector. Um, and that is what's described by the authors as a hybrid setup, which is something that is found in the majority of cases on that study. Um, another interesting point about Sweden is that basically the Swedish approach is um, relying on what's described as established intermediaries to conduct KYC procedures and due diligence procedures that are obviously by now fairly well established in you know traditional fiat finance. And the central bank itself will only be receiving information that relates to account balances and account payments, and they won't actually receive information on the CBDC users themselves, which I think is quite interesting. What do you think the future of economies and countries switching to digital currencies is going to look like? As with many things, there's pros and cons, right? So I think one of the pros is one of the main reasons why central banks want to increase their, their let's say, their reliance on CBDCs, because it, it means that effective trans- transactions will take place. It means that there's a faster speed to market, let's say, for users that are willing to part with their money for whatever goods or services. So those are all good things. But then by the same token, it might be the case that an increased reliance on digitized money can push people that don't have the means to access the digitized money out of the system. And by that, I mean people that maybe don't have an internet connection or don't have a smartphone or any other gadget that we use these days to access things like this that are innovative and digitized. So a move to CBDCs has its pros, but it also has its cons. Right on, Scott. Thank you very much for coming on the show and telling us about your article. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And in other news, welcome to Miami, Binance. Here to talk about it, Binance.us CEO, Catherine Coley. Catherine, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. So glad to be here. Florida. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. My home state. I am so thrilled. It is. Oh, is it? It is. I grew up in, right outside of Orlando and uh, my whole childhood was super involved in all things Florida, whether it was Gatorland, Disney, space shuttles, you name it. I, uh, I, I love every bit of that state and every bit of the innovation that they bring into this world. Okay, so then this latest news must be very, you must be not only very excited, but it must be very personal for you. It is. It's a little, you know, in the world of digital assets, we try to keep our emotions at bay, but there's something really emotional about being able to come home and bring something that you've built uh, to to the people that, you know, my teachers that helped me understand digital, or I mean, not digital assets, current events. Uh, that's really how I got started. It was my, you know, my teachers that taught me about math, taught me about investing and kind of being able to come back to my home turf and deliver something that I'm proud of, as well as deliver them from the high fees that they've been paying from other um, platforms. And that that really just excites me that we can move forward in, in Florida and the rest of America getting access to digital assets. Okay, so since we just jumped into it, nobody even knows the news right now. The oh news my God, is... okay, should we start over? <laughs> no, 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 just do it right now. What is the news then? The news is Binance US is coming to Florida. So we have now Wonderful. opened for 38 states in the US. They have waited a patient almost 11 months in order for this news to happen. When we launched in September 2019, we were not able to operate in Florida and we have completed all the licensing that we needed to be able to operate there and are thrilled to welcome Floridians to our platform. So uh, come one, come all uh, and, and, and enjoying so much of the digital sunshine that we're sharing on Twitter right now. Wonderful. So how many states is that in total? In total, that's 38. So we're still we still got a few more to go and uh, are working every day to get those through. 
So with the 12 other states, what's the obstacles to get them? Like for me, I, I mean, I, I'm, uh, I absolutely don't know what it is to open an exchange. I mean, is it like a website where you just open it? You say, here's, here's the website and people can just log on. Apparently there's some hurdles. What are those hurdles? I wish. It's more like applying for a college or a university. So you need to have the good oh. grades. You need to take the SATs, which only comes at certain times of the year. You need to be able to have all the personalized essays per each state. And then the, uh, you know, the reference letters and, and the team behind it to be able to support yourself going through to college. So when you break it down into that, you see a little bit more of the nuances. Each of these are state by state license. It's some have a couple more requirements, some have a little less requirements, and you really have to cater the applications in order to become a, a business in their state. And we're so excited to be offering our services in more states coming soon. So just out of my personal curiosity, if you don't mind, my home state is Ohio. Your home state is Florida. Well, totally different places, by the way. Um, a lot of well, Ohio. Both, both, to- both have a university of Miami. So <laughs> there's, that, there's that some is, commonality. That is, true. that is true. So that's a that's a little bit of a factoid for people. That's a trivial question. We do have a university of Miami in Ohio. Uh, it's definitely not sunny. But um, what are the differences for saying coming into Ohio than say going into Florida? Yeah, so we're already in Ohio, um, and there were a certain amount of states, the 37 that we were able to launch with, where we were able to start our business from from day one. Um, And then for the states that require certain amounts of our business, such as the crypto to crypto marketplace aspect, that requires this thing called a money transmitter license, which is the, the nuanced step that we've been applying for. Wonderful. Thank you very much for coming on the show and congratulations on the news of Florida. We're so excited. So be ready for your Florida memes. It's going to be a, a wild, a wild, <laughs> a wild trip. Thank you. And Bitcoin miners in China are about to lose access to cheap electricity. Bitcoin miners in Inner Mongolia will no longer receive electricity at a subsidized rate. A lack of overall benefit to the region was cited by authorities as one reason for doing this. 60% of the world's Bitcoin hash rate originates from China. And if you were listening to yesterday's podcast, Chris Larson says that he's worried about this. Maybe it's something to look at. But then again, how could you organize all 60% of that hash rate to make a 51% attack? Well, or 51% of that hash rate. Hmm. Maybe it's something to look into. I'll be back with more on this one. And finally, U.S. regulator wants crypto firms to share money laundering data. The U.K.'s Financial Conduct Authority wants crypto companies operating in the U.K. to provide it with more information about money laundering risks. The regulator has put forward a proposal for a comment. Crypto exchanges and crypto wallet custodians are the companies that would be most affected by this. My opinion, my two cents, share money laundering data. What classifies as money laundering data, especially when it comes to cryptocurrency, where things are pretty much anonymous. You don't know who's sending who what. So it could be that every cryptocurrency transaction is considered money laundering. Hmm. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. I'll be back tomorrow, Wednesday, same Matt time, same Matt channel. The Decrypt Daily, 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, every day, Monday through Friday. Don't forget, if you like this show, leave us a rating, subscribe, leave us a comment, and share. We need people to get as much news about cryptocurrency as possible. How else are we going to get mass adoption if we don't keep spreading the news? We'll see you tomorrow. Happy hodling.